0: Chapter three of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly by J.B. Polly. Chapter Three. Around Yorktown camp near richmond virginia may nineteenth eighteen sixty two arrived at yorktown we camped about a mile and a half to the rear and right of that dilapidated old town it was here you know that cornwallis surrendered the embankments thrown up during the revolutionary war are yet in a fair state of preservation and would likely have been exceedingly interesting to me had not the present war in the shape and terror of bombs from a federal battery furnished a more practical and exigent subject for reflection some of my comrades grew quite enthusiastic over the fact that we were on historic ground made sacred by washington's great victory and eloquently insisted that the scene should inspire us with extra courage and patriotism suspecting that the larger part of their enthusiasm originated in the canteen of whiskey they had bought from a blockade runner i tasted it but it aroused no corresponding sentiments in my pacific bosom about two o'clock in the morning of may the fourth the pleasing information was communicated to the texas brigade that to it had been granted the proud distinction of serving as the rearguard of the confederate army in a retreat from the peninsula in fact all the other troops of our army had already folded their tents and without giving us the slightest hint of their intention had hours ago marched away toward richmond and under these circumstances even the compliment paid the brigade by giving it the post of honour failed to relieve us of a feeling of lonesomeness and insecurity just as day appeared we took up the line of march and anxious to put as much ground as possible between us and the presumably fast following yankees stepped out in our very liveliest manner but either because they knew that texans were the rear-guard and feared to attack such desperadoes or were not fleet enough of foot to overtake us we went peacefully on our way and overtook the main body of our army about four miles from the old colonial town of williamsburg with the proud and inspiring consciousness thrilling our patriotic bosoms of duty well performed by heroic efforts to get beyond reach of a dastardly enemy Yet, although terribly tired by the rapid march over eight miles of the muddiest road imaginable, we halted not an instant, and leaving Williamsburg to our left, hurried rapidly on toward York River. We were in good luck, for after an hour or two of tramping, the roar of artillery and the roll of musketry, fortunately many miles behind us, smote upon our unaccustomed ears and we could reflect exultingly that while the honour and glory of having been the rear-guard was ours beyond dispute we had yet escaped all the dangers of that distinguished position general hood neither halted changed the course of the march nor furnished us with a single particular as to his intentions but hastened us on with a speed which appeared to indicate so strong a desire to reach a haven of complete safety that the proceeding met our most hearty approval and cooperation. not a man straggled not one lagged in the rear as a result of this unanimity of purpose we were soon beyond recall and sound of the battle and made camp that night in the heavy timber about four miles from eltham's landing here we remained until the seventh when at dawn we advanced nearer to the landing and the enemy general hood and his staff were a hundred yards in advance of the fourth company f next to the leading company and we were approaching a large deserted house situated on an eminence overlooking the wide valley of york river Between us and the mansion were some cavalry pickets, who, like veritable dummies, had sat on their horses and permitted a company of Yankee infantry to shelter itself behind the building. Hood reached the picket-post, scarcely a hundred yards from the house, and immediately a squad of bluecoats stepped out in plain view and poured a volley into us, doing no greater damage, however, than to give us a terrible scare we had been marching at will and in column and except that of john deal of company a not a gun was loaded it was a complete surprise we were in a newly cleared field full of pine stumps and with the instinct of self-preservation suddenly aroused every man except deal who immediately knelt fired and mortally wounded the sergeant of the attacking force hastily sought the protection of a stump loading his gun as he ran Hood came dashing back, shouting to the regiment to fall into line, and as every stump I made for was appropriated by a quicker man, and I had managed to load my gun, no option was left to me but to be among the first to obey orders and place myself in approved battle array. Not half a minute elapsed, though, before every man of the regiment was in ranks, and then came the order to charge rushing bravely and furiously to the crest of the eminence we were overjoyed to see the enemy fleeing across an open field to a skirt of timber half a mile away their precipitate flight availing them little however for not a man of the fifty or more in sight and range escaped wounding or death to the right of the house grew heavy timber and there after we had deployed into skirmish line a number of yankees were killed and captured after a while the brigade moved forward across the field into the woods beyond but the enemy was driven back so rapidly by our skirmishes that not a single one capable of doing duty came within my view i made no complaint and as long as i kept out of their sight was thoroughly content the other two texas regiments the first and the fifth had hot fights which they won by gallant charges and in two hours or so the yankees were forced to take refuge in transports protected by gunboats which shelled the woods until night thus charming nelly began and ended your friend's first experience under fire he did not distinguish himself it is true but he finds great consolation in the fact that neither did the enemy nor the virginia cavalry who by their carelessness almost caused the fourth texas to show the white feather in its first engagement here i looked for the first time on the dead and wounded of a battle after the fighting was over jack sutherland and i went to a poor fellow who was mortally wounded and filling his canteen with water did what else we could to make him comfortable He admitted being from Wisconsin, but absolutely refused to name the particular command to which he belonged, saying it was against orders. He was just about my age, and it was not a pleasant thought that some day soon I might, like him, be mortally wounded and left in the hands of the enemy. I do not often indulge in such grim fancies, but in his presence could not avoid them three days rations were issued to us the day before we left Yorktown, and on the morning of the eighth our haversacks being again empty four ears of corn were dealt out to each man when parched it was not at all bad eating to hungry soldiers and we soon became genuine corn feds about two o'clock in the morning of the ninth the regiment was aroused and informed that it was to be carried out of very dangerous quarters right under the noses of the enemy and that the most profound silence must be maintained and not even a cup suffered to rattle thus enjoined we marched out of camp as quietly and stealthily as arabs taking the road to richmond through an open country enveloped by a dense fog to the right, and very near the line of march, could be distinguished the shadowy forms of horses and their riders, standing silent and motionless. Cavalry pickets, whose close proximity to the road should, according to military usage, have indicated that the enemy was but a short distance away. When, however, it was learned that the pickets were blank, our fears were Instantly subsided for we felt confident the gallant sabreurs of that state would keep too careful a lookout for their own safety to permit an enemy to approach within shooting distance. Nevertheless, the speed of the march suffered no abatement until broad daylight, and the lifting of the fog furnished ocular demonstration of safety. Then I drew a long and heartfelt sigh of relief being philosopher enough to derive much comfort from that soul inspiring sentiment of the poet he who fights and runs away will live to fight another day at ten o'clock a m we passed the white house the home of the lee family and the place where general washington caught a tartar by marrying the widow custis but as no member of the brigade cared just then to make any historical researches we pushed on and on until fully assured that half of the confederate army lay between us and the yankees and then about noon won our most appreciated laurels by camping in a thicket of those shrubs in truth we deserved them for little gallantry as we displayed at eltham's landing the Yankees displayed less, and our bold front had prevented the debarkation of Franklin's corps and the capture of our immense wagon-trains. What do you think? After going into camp in the Laurel Thicket I witnessed the performance of a strange feat by a sleeping man. He caught a live rabbit with his hands. It is a solemn, undeniable fact which can be proved by a hundred men who failed to capture the little animal it was this way the rabbit jumped out of a hollow stump which some soldier wanted for firewood and the moment it was seen an immense shout went up and half a thousand men began chasing and grabbing at it it ran hither and thither and finally jumped squarely on dansby's breast just as his hand moved unconsciously descended to rest on the breast the two acts that of the rabbit and that of the man were so nearly simultaneous that the rabbit evidently imagined it had found a hiding-place and made no effort whatever to escape dansby drew a long breath opened his eyes in astonishment looked a moment at the captive and then sprang to his feet saying with a smile of delight by gum boys but i'm hungry in less than five minutes the trusting little rabbit was stewing on the fire and ten minutes later dansby was eating it What a long letter I am writing, or rather have already written. Luckily I am at no expense for postage, having in common with members of Congress the franking privilege. You may find the reading a sore tax on your patience, but I must bring my story up to date nevertheless. There is no telling how long we will remain here, or when I will again be as comfortably fixed for annoying you. I have driven four stakes into the ground in proper position to hold a board, covered by a blanket, at the right height to allow me to make a chair of Mother Earth. Another reason for not closing and marking at the bottom, to be continued, is that I may not live to do the continuing. Ever since I received your last letter, the child's prayer, paraphrased to read, if I should die before I write, has been ringing in my head. I am not silly enough to fancy it a premonition, I assure you. On the contrary, I feel certain of escaping death. But I know that is a possibility, and so, holding a letter received as an obligation to be honourably met, only by a full and complete answer, I will trespass on your endurance and fortitude a while longer. We rested in the laurel thicket several days, during which the recruiting officers who left us at Dumfries— rejoined the brigade with batches of raw recruits and many letters from home folks. when the order at last came to march it was raining heavily and it continued to do so until midnight troops had been passing for five or six hours before we moved and we began to fear that general johnston intended to make us the rearguard again It was a great relief, therefore, to be marched a half-mile farther from the enemy, even if then left standing in mud and water for two full hours. After that we began a system of alternate marching and standing still, which continued until after midnight. Order and discipline came to an end, and it was every man for himself and old Nick for the hindmost. Nobody could say who was next to him the different commands of the army having become inextricably intermixed in the darkness rain and mud officers on horseback rode back and forth along the road begging praying and ordering the men to move forward as fast as possible and get across the chickahominy and determining that if that was all they wanted me to do it should be done i resolved myself into an independent command and set out for the bridge near it and stretching across the road was an immense and apparently unfathomable mud-hole some provident fellow had hung a lantern to the limb of a tree and its light disclosed not only the length and breadth of the obstruction but a narrow and dry way around it and that way was being taken by the soldiers general whiting and i reached the loblolly about the same time i was much the wiser man of the two though i followed the current he endeavoured to change it wade right through that mud men he commanded it is not deep whereupon a fellow who was marching in single file in the narrow way around said in the sarcastic tone so easily adopted by the most timid men in a darkness and confusion which prevents identification YOU GO THROUGH IT YOURSELF, MR. LITTLE MAN, IF YOU'RE SO SURE IT AIN'T DEEP. DO YOU KNOW, SIR, YOU ARE TALKING TO GENERAL WHITING? angrily DEMANDED THAT OFFICER. MAYBE SO, RESPONDED THE UNKNOWN, NOW ALMOST AROUND THE MUD HOLE, AND AT ANY RATE TOO FAR AWAY TO BE IDENTIFIED, BUT DAMNED IF I BELIEVE A WORD OF IT. YOU ARE MORE LIKELY ONE OF HIS COURIERS TAKING ADVANTAGE OF THIS DARK NIGHT TO PLAY THE GENERAL AND ORDER YOUR BETTERS AROUND anyhow if you are a general you are a damned small one arrest that insolent fellow shouted whiting furiously so beside himself with rage that he spurred his horse into the mud hole and was splashed from head to foot with its contents oh dry up you damned old fool came echoing back through the black darkness into which the daring fellow plunged and in a moment more whiting was laughing heartily at the ridiculous position and plight in which his hastiness had placed him while this colloquy was taking place i was uh, tramping around the mud-hole and a few minutes later arrived at the bridge get across at once men and out of the road was the constantly reiterated order of the field officer who stood there and obeying it i marched across then turned out to one side and half a mile farther on dropped down on the first moderately dry spot i could locate by guessing when i awoke the sun was shining upon thousands of men who like myself had sunk down exhausted within three feet of me lay brahan fast asleep neither of us could tell who got there first or where anybody else was but the still forms around us at last began to move order to resolve itself out of confusion and by ten o'clock the 4th Texas was again a regiment under control of its officers. That was day before yesterday, and on the same day we made this camp. Yesterday I received your letter and one from my mother, and having already answered hers, have only the conscience to add to this a postscript. A great deal is being said in the papers about England and France recognizing the Confederacy, i do not admit being less brave and patriotic than others but i frankly acknowledge that if recognition will bring peace and give me the privilege of going home the announcement of the fact will be the sweetest music on earth to my ears a little while back i was foolish enough to nurse in my bosom a few dreams of military glory and distinction but hard rubs against the realities of soldiering have reduced them into the thinnest and most unsubstantial nothingness if permitted, I shall go home, resolved to be content hereafter and forevermore, with such triumphs as are to be won in the piping days of peace. Chief among these, and that which will most contribute to my happiness, will be the winning of a wife in the person of our mutual friend. Note 2. It was on the 8th of March, 1862, that the Texas Brigade abandoned its winter quarters and joined in the retreat of the Confederate forces from the lines they had held since the Battle of First Manassas to the line of the Rappahannock. Three days later it established camp near the city of Fredericksburg, here remaining until April 8th. It began on that day a long and tiresome march down to Yorktown on the peninsula, arriving there, I think, on the 13th of April, 1862. End of chapter 3